0: Good afternoon, greater Philadelphia area. This is Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB 860 AM. I'm Tom Tool. She's Sarah Timon. We've got Nick behind the camera, and we all work at the Tom Tool Sales Group at REMAX Mainline, the number one REMAX team. In Pennsylvania since 2018, number 11 in the country and apparently number 7 in the state. Based on the Real Trends rankings, all very exciting. And we're streaming live every single week on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Just look up Tom Tool Sales Group and make sure to give us a follow and a like. So we're down one person this week, Sarah. I think we can handle this. We've done it before. Um, We've got some more housing market data we're going to talk about. We saw a nice bump in active inventory for the summer. Um, We're going to go over some industry news that kind of affects the local market a little bit. And then we've got a great guest coming on. Um, You know the guest, so why don't you tell us about her?
1: Yeah, so I was actually at a mastermind group uh, or, like, meeting the other week, and there was a guest speaker there from Aiden's Heart Foundation. Um, Very cool. It's an organization that, you know, promotes healthy hearts (laughs) and screening, um, as well as the – I forget the name of the devices, but that, like, can shock your heart back. Defibrillator. Yeah. Um, I'm
0: surprised I knew that. That was pretty good.
1: Yeah, yeah. So um, she had a very, like, a sad story, but a very, um, for how the foundation kind of got started. Um, but some really good information. So she's going to come out and uh, talk to us today.
0: I love having local charities on. Uh, we're going to make more of an effort to do that as we as we continue the show here. So that, that'll be coming on on the, on the third segment. First, let's start off with some more market news. And... I'm going to get into the inventory data and what's going on in, in a minute, but I, I there was an article that dropped, and um, it was a realorder.com. They, they posted their 2023 forecast update compared to what they were, and it's their mid-year housing market review, which you know everyone out there should be looking at what's going on in the market mid-year, whether it's for your business or if you're just evaluating the market. And in this mid-year housing market updated forecast, realorder.com predicted that home prices um, – would will now fall while they predicted that they would not back in November of 2022. And they're, they're, they're saying that we're going to see mortgage rates to fall to six percent by the end of the year. Um, the number of total home sales is going to be the lowest since 2012, which I don't think is a surprise there. And the the biggest change I found is that they're, they're saying that they're going to see housing prices drop. What do you think about this?
1: Well, I'm, this is based on like, this is national. Yes, of course. Yes, right? yes. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think that here in our, in our local market, I'm really not, not seeing that. Um, you know, you always want to for any, whether it's you have the listing or like, let's say you're taking out a buyer. I mean, you're always running all the comps. You're finding out like what the competition level is and everything. But, um, You know, there certainly is opportunity for places that have been that have been up a little bit longer that maybe haven't, you know, they lost some momentum that maybe you could get something uh, under the list price. But I've I'm not really seeing a ton of that.
0: So I agree with you. I, I, you know, and this to me, you got to look at the local data, obviously, but they're, they're calling for the median sale price appreciation to drop by six tenths of a percent. I've got a real problem with median sale price. Because it just happens to be the middle number, right? You got 10 right. numbers in front of you. The average could be $100,000 higher, yeah. but the median just happens to be the middle. So it's a little misleading in some ways. Now, their forecast in, in November was a plus 5.4% increase in the median home sale price. It just Stuff like this is why consumers get so confused about what's going on in the market. Yeah. I, mean, I, I guarantee you're going to get a question about this this week.
1: Oh, I'm sure. Wait, so this is like a kind of dumb math, math question, but you've got for your averages. I know that there's there's a like what, like the 3 M's. You got your mean, your median, and your mode, is that right? Yes. And so your median is just like the middle.
0: Yeah, it, so if there's 5 numbers, it's the third one in a sequence of going up or down. So if the numbers are 1, 7, 15, 24, and 48, it's 15 is the median.
1: Gotcha. Okay, so it's not like a calculation of all—it's not an average.
0: It's the number that—it's the, that it's the value the that's in the middle.
1: Okay, gotcha. And if it's yeah, that's kind ev- of like a silly number, too. Well, I, it
0: doesn't make any sense because, right. I mean, people would argue that, okay, well, you're going to see these higher premium price points that come in that could skew that, but there there's so few of the market. That's why mm-hmm. the average, to me, is what you want to look at, so— you know, it's one of these things where I always I always like looking at the average, but for real estate, for whatever reason, keeps focusing on the median. And Steve Harney from Keeping Current Matters, uh, he came out and said it's basically a trash piece of uh, statistical information. So yeah. I, I'm not thrilled with what RealOrder.com did here. Um, it's also another great example of how fast the market can change. I mean, they're talking mm-hmm. about five and a half percent appreciation to now negative appreciation And there are some areas in the country, and I would even argue locally, like Philadelphia is a drastically different market than what we're seeing in suburban counties. So it is important to know what the local numbers mean. Um, Danielle Hale uh, came out and said that she feels high inflation and the Fed's actions to curb it have had a significant impact on the housing market this year. I mean, I feel like we talk about the Fed every week. I mean, um, so while inflation has begun to ease, the sustained spike in mortgage rates was enough to stifle the housing market after several years of low inventory and strong activity. I thought that was pretty well said. I yeah. don't think it's anything we haven't said before. Yeah. So how do you explain this to a consumer that says, hey, I saw prices are going down this year? Because this is, this is what invariably happens.
1: Yeah, so I, I try to bring it back to the, the data and bring it to the local market and just kind of show them that, like, outside of, you know, back in – eight and in that whole time frame when that was a totally different circumstance and um, a different set of things that led to um, you know home prices dropping and, and all of that that mm-hmm. we we do not see that here yep. um, they continue to um, appreciate um, and there just is not the inventory there to you know where everything is at now I mean what a six month supply would be, your stable, healthy market. And mm-hmm. we are so far from that. And I don't see that changing within the next couple of years. And even if it does get to a point where it balances out a bit more, um, you know, we're still going to continue to, to grow and appreciate.
0: So I agree with you 100%. And this demonstrates how much you've studied your craft here, being able to explain that so succinctly, because... Some people are going to be like, yeah, well, maybe prices are going down or, or they don't know how to handle that. And that's where consumers, they get so confused because most realtors don't take the time to study the marketplace in the first place. So right. and, and what you said there is is so critical, because while like I'm, I'm excited to see another almost nine thousand homes come to the market this mm-hmm. week nationally. Right. That's a drop in the bucket. If you look at housing markets, uh, housing uh, or housing wire, excuse me, uh, housing market tracker. There was a little bit of a summer bump in homes for sale. This past week, we saw another 8,886 homes come to the market on a weekly basis. Um, Logan Modishami, who puts this out every Sunday night, and this to me is a must-read for agents. Um, I think I've gotten you to reading this regularly, yep. which which is and it's so recent. I mean, it's a week by week update. He's hoping for um, you know that that growth to start to range between 11 and 16 thousand per week. Which if we started to see that nationally. And we could get over this like 800 new homes hump because we've been looking at I've been charting this number locally at our market here. And and I'll pull it up now for what we saw over the past seven days. And this is Chester, Montgomery, Delaware uh, counties, as well as the city of Philadelphia. What we're seeing with new homes coming to the market, and this includes back to actives, which is a real opportunity in my view. Mm -hmm. Um, Hold on. Wait for the website to load here. And and while I'm doing that, this should come up here momentarily. If we can get over, we can get like 900 new homes or like 1,000 new homes a week. That's where it starts to get exciting because buyers are really going to see that. So as an example, this past uh, the past seven days, we've had 152 coming soons, 462 new active listings. So that's 600, and then only 63 back to active. So the highest we've seen is like that 800-ish number. This is like 663 or so, uh, somewhere in there. So that that's going to be something that's important. But as long as we start seeing new homes come to the market and that continues, I think that's going to ease off the pain for buyers a little bit.
1: Yeah. Yeah. What do you
0: see happening in the second? Is it, we're going to see more of this in the second half of the year. Do you see this kind of stalling out? Tell me, tell me what your predictions are.
1: Um, I mean, I think that we're going to continue to see stuff trickling, trickling. in. I mean, it'd be great if we got some of these bigger bumps. Um, but I think, you know, we're going to, Every day, you just have to keep checking to see to see what new has come up and who you can kind of pair that with. Um, so things will continue to, to come in. Um, Summer is always an interesting time because you've got some people on vacation. Um, you know, it's, it can be it's, – it's crazy. You know, you have some properties that are going to move in a day, and then you've got others that sit a little bit longer. Um, so it's really just kind of being on top of it and making mm-hmm. sure to take advantage of the homes that do come up.
0: Well, that, and and I think you said this a couple of weeks ago on the show. It's that there's new homes coming to the market every day. You really got to look for them, and it's got to be almost like a full time job for a buyer to be monitoring the market because there's these things come on the market and they can go off the market pretty quickly.
1: Oh, I sent one to a client this morning, and it was probably like two hours later until he like clicked on it and was like, "It's now under contract," and like it wasn't when I sent it this morning. So, um, oh, and it's also it's just so funny because there was another house I was. Uh, getting information for yesterday that had been on the market for, I think, 152 days. And I had a client who was interested in getting some more info on it. I called the agent and she was like, oh, it just went under contract last night. And it's just like sometimes the timing is so funny because it'll like nothing is safe. Like just Mm -hmm. because something's been on the market for X amount of days, it doesn't mean that you can uh, just say, oh, well, maybe in like a week or so, we'll we'll go check it out like things do like eventually they. They move.
0: <laughs> I'm a big proponent of controlling the controllables. You know, right. you can control how fast you get into a property. Right. And and I'm not saying this to, you know, induce panic. It's just that that's the way you don't know what's going on. And I've seen what you talked about there. Homes are on the market four, five, six months. All of a sudden, there's two people interested out of nowhere. Yeah. It's usually when someone's interested, you can almost assume someone else will be interested. And right. it's really critical to have that multiple offer mindset, even on these homes that have been on the market for a little bit of time, because the market might move to them, especially because right. we're seeing prices go up, or maybe there's not, you know, not other opportunities that are out there. Right. So, so what we're seeing trending this week um, is that we've seen weekly inventory change. The peak for 2023 so far nationally is 472 thousand homes. Right now we're at 459. Um, the uh, the same week last year we saw inventory rise from 415 thousand homes to 441,000 homes. That's a pretty large bump that we saw. It's 25,000 properties that came to the market. We're not seeing that kind of increase this year. We did see purchase application increase 2% week over week. Rates are stabilizing here. And and I've got a theory about this that we saw how volatile the market was at the beginning of the year when it came to interest rates. This stability of like 6 and 7 eighths, which is basically what we've seen, more people are okay with it. I'm, I'm clear consumers didn't like the volatility of, I bought a home, now the rate jumped up a half a point. Right. And that's why we're seeing this purchase application data increase and more inventory come to the market because people are making decisions knowing that it's not, well, I might be priced out tomorrow because the 10-year did something. Right. Are you right. feeling that with your clients right now or what, what, what's, your, what's your observation?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that the more that you can educate them and just kind of let them know, like, What's going on? Where things potentially could go? And again, getting back to controlling the controllable. So, if you know, if we're at the interest rate that we're at now, and you can afford that for your uh, monthly payment, and we don't, and you can afford it at the price that the house is now, and yes. it's the right house, um, you can control all of that. If the rates, because I think in the one article that we were looking at here, they were thinking by what in a year and a half um, in 2024, like kind of towards the end we were going to be seeing rates down in the fives possibly mm-hmm. was one of the predictions. Yeah, there's, there's
0: a lot of people that have said that.
1: So, like, if that happens, that's good news. You yes. can refinance. Like, you can run the numbers and at a point where it makes sense to, to go ahead and refinance, then you've secured the house at this price with a payment you could afford and then you refinance it and you can't refinance a property that you don't have. <laughs> so, yep. you don't know. No one knows what will happen in the future. And back to your, like, earlier question about what do you tell people when they say the market's going to crash and I think that home prices are going to go down? It's like, listen, who knows? Maybe some crazy thing will happen and that does. But what all the data shows us from all of these past years is that that is not the case. So you have to kind of take what you've got at hand and um, work with that. And there always are going to be things out there that you can't control.
0: That's where the monthly payment question is so important for home buyers. Everyone gets freaked out about rates or and and I found the people that said, Oh, the rates are good, I want to buy a home, they're really not that motivated in mm-hmm. the first place. Or I'm buying because the rates are favorable. They're moving because of market conditions. They're not moving because of life conditions, which are very different. Mm-hmm. You know, once you have a baby, like the baby doesn't like go away when the rates go up. Right. You know what I mean? Like it's once you decide to downsize because your health is, is is an issue, or you just don't want to feel like dealing with the space, that doesn't go away because the rates change. Right. And if you're an agent right now, listening, finding out what that motivation is, and, and it's the D's, like we heard about that when Tom Ferry came and and uh, and talked to our team, or even just th- this has been something I've always believed in. It's like death, divorce, diplomas, diamonds, diapers, dogs. Now, for a lot of people, I, I know you're a big dog lover, so mm-hmm. it's uh you know, <laughs> um, d relocation, default, like those things. That's what cause people to move, and those are going to be the consumers that come to the market until rates get a little more favorable, where people are moving for more personal preference reasons, than they've got a condition they got to deal with.
1: Right. I mean, I know we had a meeting earlier today and one of the things that was kind of discussed was find out what the fear is. Like if people are bringing up like rates or whatnot, like just kind of get Mm -hmm. to the bottom of like, is that just like a buzzword that you're using or is there like an actual fear here and how can we get past it?
0: So so what were some of the techniques you learned in the training? Because I was not there for this. So I'm, I'm curious to hear what Jason had to say.
1: Yeah, so I mean, I guess if somebody is, you know, just saying rates rates are too high, I'm I'm nervous about that. Then being like, okay, so we know we know the rates are where the rates are. We can calculate it out from there and just breaking down like, is your fear that the rates are going to go down and that you made a bad decision, or um, is, does it come down to like affordability? And then we can kind of tackle those numbers and just take that piece out of it and I guess like kind of highlight the fear rather than avoid it.
0: My, well, and I love going at the challenge, right? And I think that's yeah. really good advice because what it's going to do is two things. One, you're going to stop the consumer from wasting their time mm-hmm. about maybe browsing for houses and never buying anything. Right. The amount of time some of these people take to look at homes and, and, and like actually not transact is mind-boggling right. to me. Right. Uh, I see you smiling. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. The flip side is as business people, you've also got to learn who to spend your time with and who not to. Like, for example, I was on the way over here. I got a text from someone on our team, and, the, and it was like, oh, I'm not sure if I want to work with this person anymore. Yet they just wrote some offer that was like $80,000 above the asking price, mm-hmm. and they got beat. And I said, well, that offer tells me they've got intent.
2: Yeah. Just
0: because they lost, they're at the point where they're ready to make a decision. So that's probably not a good decision. And – for the agents listening right now, I'd be very careful about like I'm. I'm selective who I work with. Like you got to find motivated people. That should right. be the like, only you selection. Find
1: people that are writing offers, even if they're not writing good offers, like yes. eventually most people don't start off writing good offers. They don't. You know? Like you give them the advice for <laughs> like what would, what do you think will win this house? And you tell them and they're like, well, I'm going to go about 150 thousand under what you just yeah, said, yeah, yeah. and uh, you know, and um, so as long as they are willing to write an offer, it means like they want to do something. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I would rather, I would rather work with that any day than somebody who you've showed them the perfect homes according to like what they're saying they mm-hmm. need that match all of the boxes. And that just are almost like in a paralyzed state of never wanting to go forward and like take a shot at getting it.
0: I, I think that, that that's really important to, because how many times have you heard someone say like, Oh, I'm, I'm serious or I'm ready to go. And their actions are the complete opposite of someone that's serious and has intent to transact, whether it's a buyer or a seller. Yeah. Then you've got people like we're talking about here, someone that writes an offer. Like, it, it takes time to go through that, right? Mm-hmm. They've got to read the documents. At least most people read the documents. Um, they've got to sign something. They've got to be okay with, hey, I might not get this. And they they enter the rejection area and the vulnerability stage because nobody likes losing these things. I don't care right. what anyone says. So. At that point, you know, if, if we look at it that way, I think there's that, – that that's a really great piece of advice, Sarah, is you want to work with people that are writing offers because they're going to get better if they're serious. And right. they're going to start listening. And usually three is the magic number is what we found right. is that the first one, the odds of them listening are probably slim to none unless they're really – like there's a, they're, like their mom, mom lives up the street or something. Then right. it's a little bit of a different situation. Second one, all right, we'll take half of your advice, Sarah. Yeah. And the third one, it's like, all right, what do we got to do? Right. And that's when, that's when they're they're ready because some people don't want to believe what's going on in the market because when markets turn, realtors tell people it's a great time to buy, it's a great time to sell. They have all that nonsense and that double-sided talk from their mouth that doesn't really work out too well. Right. All right. I agree. Excellent point. Nick, I, I'm going to start taking notes when we have good points so you can cl- clip the content so you're not worried about it. I literally just did this. It was uh, one of my amazing things that came out. That was excellent point by Sarah. So the last thing here before we take a break there's a big week of data coming up. We are going to have a replay playing next week. It's Fourth of July uh, on next Tuesday, so Sarah will be traveling to Canada to celebrate America. <laughs> Questionable choice. I'm just kidding, and there's a great reason you're going. Um, so we're gonna have a we're gonna have a replay on next week. We will not be here, however, we will be back the following week. And there's a busy week of data coming up. Um, we have the jobless claims coming out on Thursday, um, but mo- more importantly, the PCE inflation data. So the um, a lot of people focus on the CPI inflation data, which is the consumer price index. What the PCE uh, inflation data is, and what that means, it's the uh, personal consumption expenditures. So it's no, it, it, it like captures uh, inflation across a ride a wide range of consumer expenses. And a lot of people like to look at that, and it's a little more intuitive um, as a piece of data. And if we see that come down. And that continues to its downward trend. Right now, it's like below five, trending towards four. Hopefully, it's lower than that. I know the Fed's targeting two. That's going to be really interesting to uh, to see what happens. And I think the other thing people are a little worried about what's going on in Russia right now and how that might affect the economy. Mm-hmm. And, I'm, and like, where well, this is not a political show, but right. there's things happening in the in the geopolitical world that that are going to affect the market. So sure. I think that's another thing to to think about here. What do you see with inflation? I mean, do we think we're going to see a positive movement here in this PCE data that comes out out on uh, on on Friday? I know you're going to be watching your phone and probably watching the ticker here <laughs> to see what's happening, Sarah. But in all seriousness, we we talk yeah. about this enough. Do you do you see that? Do you see that coming down? Do you think it's going to be a, a lower number for the Fed? What do you, what do you think happens there?
1: Um, I hope it it comes down a little bit. Um, <laughs> I think that. Uh, you know, down the line, I do anticipate that they are going to continue to increase the basis points for uh, you know, at their their next. The meeting. federal funds, right, yeah. Yeah. That so, that's pretty
0: clear. I, I agree with you there.
1: Yeah. Um but I don't know if that answered your question.
0: So I I, <laughs> I, I, I think we're all hopeful that this yeah. number comes down a little bit because and, and this this rental data that's a year lagged is such a problem with this inflation data. So if we see the PCE data come down a little bit. I think we might see some relief in mortgage rates. And and yeah. even if we got to like six and a half, I'd be pretty ecstatic about that yeah. because the market was moving pretty well at six and a half. Mm-hmm. When it gets to seven, there's that little hesitation with consumers. Yeah. So I don't see that changing. So we'll chart that. We'll unpack it after the 4th of July. Well, Sarah's celebrating Canada Day. It's July yeah. 3rd, right? Yep. So little known fact there. So that's what we got on the market this week. Big week coming up. A lot of great information. Um, I love what you talked about with the signs of someone that's motivated and working with folks that are writing offers. So we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We've got a little real estate industry news about um, another lawsuit that hits home a little bit here. NAR is looking for a new CEO. And then we're going to come back and we're going to talk about Aiden's Heart Foundation. Really excited for that. We've got our guest in studio here. She'll be breaking it all down next on Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB 860 AM. Have you considered a career in real estate? Do you want control over your income? Whether you have a license or not, call us today at 610 692 6976 or visit tomtool.com. Join our team, the Tom Tool Sales Group at REMAX Mainline. I'm Tom Tool of the Tom Tool Sales Group at REMAX Mainline. If you're thinking of becoming a real estate agent in the greater Philly area, I have a special offer for you. Our team did $165 million of volume in 2021, making us the number one REMAX team in Pennsylvania and a top 1% team nationally. Our agents love us because we offer them a successful career, a great life, and an unbeatable culture. Agents who've been with us for at least a year average 30-plus sales. Even our brand-new agents average 17 to 24 sales a year. We offer proven systems and expert training. We help you set more appointments and sell more houses. Now here's the offer. If you don't have a real estate license yet, we offer real estate scholarships so you can get one for free. Check it out at realestatescholarshipprogram.com or visit the Tom Tool sales group at Remax Mainline at tomtool.com. That's Tom e.com. Get more out of your real estate career and remember the real estate golden rule. You always get more when you work with Tom Tool.
3: When you're getting a mortgage, you shouldn't have to sacrifice great service just to get a great rate. At Mortgage America, we've been lending with this philosophy for over 35 years. We have access to great low rates without the complications and delays of big or online banks. We're a local Pennsylvania lender with loan officers that you can actually meet. As PHFA's number one lender, we specialize in all residential mortgage programs, including first time buyer programs and low down payment options. For your free pre-approval, call us at 610-439-8000 or apply online at mymortgageamerica.com.
0: Welcome back to Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB 860 AM. I'm Tom Tool. She's Sarah Timon. We got Nick Wolf behind the camera and we all work at the Tom Tool sales group at REMAX Mainline, the number one REMAX team in Pennsylvania since 2018. And we're streaming live every single week on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Just look up Tom Tool Sales Group. Make sure to subscribe and follow. And really excited for our next segments. So this one's going to be a little quicker here. It's with uh, uh, and it's going to feature Aiden's Heart Foundation with Christy Marshall Silva. But first, we got some real estate news to talk about, and, and some more industry news than anything else. So, t- two things I think are kind of relevant. We'll have to see how they play out. I just uh, the the first comes from. Something that happened here locally back in the spring, in April, um, where Ryan Serhan and the brokerage Serhan got hit with another lawsuit over expansion, and the unfortunate thing about this, it looks like it's the same thing that is alleged, and I'm, I'm going to use the word alleged here, because we don't know, I don't know what the heck's going on, unless mm-hmm. you got some inside intel that I'm not aware of, Sarah. I don't. I, I, I didn't think you did, because I didn't either, um, where... Um, And now in late May, there was a South Florida-based brokerage, Sutter and Nugent. They filed a lawsuit against Serhant and two former Sutter and Nugent agents. Uh, Their names are Matt Moser and Nicholas Gonzalez. And the lawsuit alleges that Moser and Gonzalez stole trade secrets from their prior firm to take to Serhant in violation of their contracts. And this was the same thing that happened here in Uh, with uh, KW Black Label, uh, a team uh, based out of Philadelphia, and the firm's firm's parent company, The Condo Shop, alleged that Hant, along with his Philadelphia team lead, uh, her name uh, I'm not going to mention here, plundered Black Label's clients, intellectual property, and confidential information and personnel while crippling its ability to operate, and they filed a $10 million damage lawsuit. So it looks like more of the same here, which... I find it a little disappointing to see this is popping up a couple times now. What's your take on this?
1: Right. So I'd be curious if it's popping up again because, like, I mean, I'm sure there's, like, I know it's all alleged. Like, I'm sure something happened here that, like, these different companies are feeling, you know, a certain type of way. So I guess is – is did, th- did this one pop up because they think that uh, the one from the spring, like, the, you know, the company will – come out on top and and walk away with, um, you know, possibly this 10 million in damages um, or, you know, I don't I don't know. I,
0: I don't know either. Um, what, what I do know about this is that, you know, people come and go from brokerages all the time. Right. I mean, this, this is a, a common thing, especially in sales. And. I'm a big believer there's a right way to do things. right. Like we, I mean we talk about one of our core values is like is is integrity, but it's not integrity being honest. It's doing the right thing is the right thing. like there's there's no question there. And unfortunately, when some of these people leave, um and and it, it goes on, let me tell you what what was also alleged here because I think this is where I see the similarity that Sutter and Nugent also alleged that in late May, these two agents, they recruited a third agent who led another uh, office in Jupiter, Florida to join. And those two agents used confidential marketing data, and they took a listing that had started with the previous firm over. That's yeah, well, where I it would, gets dicey.
1: Yeah, I mean, I would think that that would almost be, like, more cut and dry, though, than some of the other stuff. If it's, like, because if they started the listing with the one brokerage, it stays with the brokerage.
0: Uh, well, yeah, that that's my point. And, and we kind of – if if people are soliciting clients under agency agreements – Yeah, that that's called torturous interference. And that Mm -hmm. that is very clearly illegal. Um, Again, we don't have all the details. This is all alleged. I just want to be super, super clear about that. This happens from time to time with companies. And there was another very large company out there. I'm not going to name them, but they were allegedly instructing people to violate their contracts and steal everything when they came over. Um, Mm -hmm. And they also got sued and lost. Uh, And and this happens a lot. I think you know who I'm talking about. And If this is what's happening, you know, for someone like Ryan Serhant and his company, his name is the company, right? So, I mean, that's his rep. I mean, I've got a lot of respect for the guy. I think he's wildly successful. I've seen him once at a panel down in in Miami. Um, You know, it's – there's a way to recruit people the Mm -hmm. right way. We recruit people from other firms too. Yeah. The – I mean, you've, you've met them. They're very yep. nice people. And it's, hey, we're going to do whatever your contract says, and we're going to focus on your career when you get here. Yep. Not getting all the information and taking business and that sort of stuff. And it, it's just, if it's happening over and over again, I, I, you know, you got to wonder what's actually going on.
1: Right, right.
0: So kind of disappointing to hear. So the advice I have, if you're making a move at a firm, just follow your contract. I don't think it's that hard. I don't. Right, uh, <laughs>
1: right. <laughs> it's, yeah, right. And like people do, they move around all the time, and that's fine. <laughs> it's like you just yes. have to stay within – your contract.
0: Well, and you know, you're going to have to work with these people again. This is mm. what everyone forgets.
1: And it is a small it is a small world. When you like, you know, and you realize it after, you know, maybe the first year in, all the names just kind of are the names, you know. Yes. And then as you continue to stay in the industry, the pool does feel small cuz you know, we talk about this a lot that like 10% do 90% yes. of the work and yada, yada. So like you do see the same agents over and over again and you want to have good relationships.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just bad business. I mean, that, that's all it is. So that, that's the only thing that, I mean, I'm not going to get into all this. I think it's just it's disappointing to see this happening again. And it like, this like broke when we were on the show. This is the one time we had breaking news on the show. We should have gotten like that breaking news <laughs> soundtrack or whatever. Um, so, you know, I, I, I I hope it all works out for everyone involved. I don't really know how it does. It looks like there's th- this is not going to end smoothly for for a lot of people here, and it's unfortunate because to me, like I mean, they declined comment at, at Sirhan, and nobody returned any any comments on on a, on a request. And th- this is this is on real trends. I mean, this is not some fly by night website, and it, it it becomes a time waster for a lot of people. They focus on this instead of what makes you money in this business, which is selling houses. Mm-hmm. That's what you want to focus on. So. Moving on here, the other piece of news, and I, I have a question for you on this. I'm really curious what you're going to say, Sarah. So um, NAR and uh, Bob Goldberg uh, announced that the uh, the CEO, Bob Goldberg, is going to be stepping down at the end of 2024. Um, he's been the CEO of NAR since 2017. Apparently, he got paid $2.5 million, which... I mean, if that's what our dues are going to for yeah, NAR, right. I mean, well, you know, we, we have these commission lawsuits we're dealing with. Like, ha, ha, you know, come on, Bob. Like, let's get let's get it together here. Um, he's stepping down. My hope is someone more dynamic would come into this role. Um, I mean, I don't I don't, I don't personally, I, I think that, you know, this, this could this is a, one of the largest trade organizations in the country. I'd love to see someone that comes in that's actually going to fight more for realtors' rights and some other things than what we've seen going on with these commission lawsuits and all these things that have happened. Who do you think is the next CEO of NAR?
1: I don't know. They have not approached me yet. And they haven't approached um, you. So... I would support
0: Sarah Timon for CEO. <laughs> I'll throw. I mean, I'm 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 game for that.
1: Um. Yeah. I don't. I mean, I guess would it be somebody? I mean, I'll, as I'm looking at their like qualifications you don't have to have a background in real estate, right?
0: I, I mean, you don't have to be, I, I don't, I don't, you know, I, I haven't sat and studied Bob Goldberg's resume to be super honest with you. Um, what I know is that running a company and selling real estate, having kind of made this transition myself and you, mm-hmm. you've seen it, ha- it, it's a little different, yeah, right? sure. And you've probably seen like the difference in like my day to day, as far as I was just like drilling phone calls for three hours and then going mm-hmm. and meeting people versus, some of the stuff that happens now. Um, so here, here's what they're saying. The selected candidate is going to be responsible for goal setting and budget management in concert with the association's overall strategic plan while executing the priorities and strategic agenda directed by the NAR's board of directors. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, it looks like he's been with been with uh, NAR for a while, um, and he previously succeeded someone that was 12 years as the NAR CEO. So...
1: Well, it's nice that it's that he's retiring and it's it's not like he was getting fired.
0: <laughs> oh. well, you, you know, sometimes these things are forced. I mean, you don't you oh, don't know. That's true. Um, so it's
1: moving in another direction.
0: So here's here's my here's what I think will happen. And here's what I hope will happen. My hope is they find someone that's going to fight for the rights of real estate agents and 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 for our our trade organization because I think real estate agents are clearly under attack right now. If you look at all these lawsuits that are happening, we're like the we're and it, it's you know and I'm not saying. Keep fighting and, and protect all our rights. I'm saying let's get someone that's a little more proactive, yeah. is it? Um, I mean, there's multiple federal antitrust lawsuits that threaten the way real estate agents are, um, are are getting compensated, and I think some of the allegations are ludicrous. We've talked about that at length. Um, the trade group spent $81 million in 2022 lobbying effectively investing in technology and trying to keep members happy. I mean, I, I don't even know where this money goes. Um. Right. So I would hope they get someone more dynamic that has a history of defending trade organizations. Yeah. What I think will happen is it's going to be somebody from the network of NAR and like the good old boy network that has been, been groomed for this position and it's someone. It's going to be more of the same. Uh, that, that's kind of my uh, unfortunate prediction here where they're going to be catering to what a lot of companies are doing right now where they're trying to put people in place that will make the public happy instead of the person that's going to do the best job.
1: Right. Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like that's the way it usually goes, so it would not be surprising.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm being a hater here to be very clear, but it's uh, only because I've been doing this a long time, and I would hope that we would find someone a little, a little, little more dynamic. Uh, it's just disappointing seeing the trade being wrapped up in multiple federal antitrust lawsuits. That's not a place any trade organization should be. No. So we're going to take a quick break after all our gossip here about the real estate industry, and we're going to uh, talk about a really great local charity Aiden's Heart Foundation. We got Christy Marshall Silva here. If you want to learn more about the uh, Heart Foundation, it's the the website is aidensheart.org. It's A I D A N S heart h e a r t.org. We'll be right back on Tooltime Real Estate Radio on WWDB 860 AM. Have you considered a career in real estate? Do you want control over your income? Whether you have a license or not, call us today at 610-692-6976 or visit tomtool.com. Join our team, the Tom Tool Sales Group at REMAX Mainline. The Tom Tool Sales Group is the number one REMAX team in Pennsylvania with over $165 million in volume for 2021. I'm Tom Tool, and our team has achieved that kind of success by being a great place to work with and to work for. No one knows Greater Philly better than we do. We know real estate, but more importantly, we're real people. We hire the best agents, and we give them all the tools to succeed. Even our brand new agents sell 17 to 24 homes a year because our team delivers the best experience in real estate. Teams deliver a better experience than individuals, and we're a top 1% real estate team in the country. We call it AAA service. We're your advocate, ally, and advisor. Because this isn't a transaction to us. It's a relationship. If you're buying or selling a home, call the Tom Tool Sales Group at REMAX Main Line at 610-692-6976 or visit TomTool.com. That's Tom, Tool with an E dot com. Sell your home for more and remember the real estate golden rule. You always get more when you work with Tom Tool. All right, all right, all right. Welcome back to Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB 860 AM. I'm Tom Tool. She's Sarah Time, and he's Nick Wolf. And we all work at the Tom Tool Sales Group at Remax Mainline, the number one Remax team in Pennsylvania since 2018. Number seven in the state, and we're streaming live every single week on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Just look up Tom Tool Sales Group. But enough about us. We've got an awesome, awesome guest here, Christy Marshall-Silva with Aiden's Heart Foundation. You can visit the charity. It's Aiden'sHeart.org, A-I-D-A-N-S-H-E-A-R-T.org. Christy, thanks so much for coming on. Um, You met Sarah at a networking event, which is super cool. So why don't you guys tell, why don't you tell us a little bit about the charity, um, and then I'll let you kind of take it from here.
2: Awesome. Thank you so much, Tom and Sarah and Nick, for having me on the show. Um, Sarah, it was really great to meet you at this networking event, and you heard me talk about Aiden and share the story about our foundation. Um, and as much as I am a little hesitant and nervous to speak <laughs> on live radio, um, this is the chance for public awareness to be, to be increased. And this is Aiden's way of saying, Mom, step up do this, and help save more lives. Um, So we founded Aiden's Heart Foundation in 2011. Um, My son Aiden passed away tragically at age seven in 2010. Um, And I'll talk a little bit more about that in a bit. But we founded the organization to save lives. We learned that sudden cardiac arrest is the number one cause of death of young people on high school campuses. Um, And we learned that it is often preventable. And so we founded the, uh, the organization to place automated external defibrillators, or AEDs, in places where kids are active in sports, or in schools, or churches, or local community groups. Um, We also started teaching CPR, hands-only CPR, which is what's recommended by the American uh, Heart Association. And we also screen hearts. We perform EKG exams for free so that families can learn more about their kids' heart health. Those are the things that we started doing in the foundation when we learned that sudden cardiac arrest, which is different from a heart attack, um, cardiac arrest is more, if you think of a house, um, cardiac arrest happens more like when the short circuit of an electrical malfunction, um, you know, automatically, literally like flipping a switch. And there are many reasons for why that happens, whereas a heart attack is a blockage that can happen over time. Um, And so when we learned about sudden cardiac arrest happening as much as it actually does, even though we don't hear about it as often as we probably should, um, it strikes up to 9,000 young people under age 24 every year. And oftentimes, that didn't need to happen. There are kids that are tragically dying who do not need to be losing their lives. Um, I'll talk a little bit more about what our foundation does specifically, but I I do want to tell you about Aiden's story, um, because I think it's important for people to know that sudden cardiac arrest can happen to anyone, and it often happens without any warning signs. And as scary as it is to be listening to this right now, um, my hope is that people will continue to listen. Don't touch that dial, because you may learn how to save the life of a loved one, maybe even a child. So Aiden was seven years old in perfect health. He is our oldest child. Um, I was with him and his younger brother the day of September 4th, 2010. It was Labor Day weekend. And we had been running around doing errands in the morning. And the boys, as they were sitting in the backseat of my car, driving them on these errands, they were, we were passing by. There must have been a car show in town. And there were all these fancy cars, old cars, and they were, you know, pointing at them and um, really excited about it. We ran our errands. We came back at about two in the afternoon and we were getting ready to go to a friend's barbecue. And again, no sign of anything could possibly cross my mind. Um, we have no family history of anyone having any heart issues under age 50. Um, the boys went to their regular routine pediatric visits every year. Um, but it Around two thirty, when we were getting ready, um, you know, the boys had showered and changed, and I was getting myself ready. And um, I brought his little brother into their bedroom to um, just help him get some socks on. And I just noticed, whereas they'd been playing in the hall a few minutes before, I noticed, you know, that I I didn't hear Aiden. Um, it was just quiet. So I looked out in the hallway, and um, he was on the floor, and he was turned away from me. His face was turned away from me. And um, I didn't know what to think. You know, he had just been playing with his brother a few minutes before. Um, So I called to him, called his name, said Aiden. And there was no response. Um, You know, and I'm watching him. And it's just that moment where your brain does not want to make sense of what's going on. and, And really down deep inside, I was thinking, oh, my gosh, this is this could be really bad, but there's just no reason for it. So I called him again, and there was no response. And in my mind, I made up, well, they, he must have been play- He must be playing that, that sleeping game that we played in my family where mommy and daddy, you know, the, the child pretends they're asleep, and mommy and daddy walk over and tickle them, and, and then it's a big tickle fight. Um, so I started walking over to him, and as I reached down to tickle his belly, I saw his face. Um, he was blue and he, when I, my hand touched his, his stomach, it might as well have been like I was touching a pillow or uh, there, there was no movement. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I looked at him and, you know, just the horror of that instant where you recognize that something is so tragically wrong and you don't know why. Um, I just tried to spring into action to do something. So I had been a lifeguard in high school. I knew CPR. I knew what you needed to do. I knew that when you're doing CPR, it's really, really bad. There's something tragic happening. And so I called 911, started CPR and did CPR until help arrived, um, However, in one statistic of many that I'll start talking to you about is that it, it took over 14 minutes, which is about the national average response time, for the responders to come and bring an AED. Now, an AED is, is an automated External defibrillator It's the little box that you might see in airports. Um, sometimes you see them out and about in stores. Um, schools have them but are not required to have them, which is something else I'll talk about in a little bit. But it's the only machine that can restart a heart. It's the only way to jumpstart a heart back into its regular rhythm. So by the time the responders arrived with the AED, they did shock Aiden's heart a few times but were unable to revive him. And tragically, Aiden passed away at age seven um, on a blue sunny day out of nowhere. Um, It happened suddenly. It was quiet. He didn't call out to me and say, Mom, I don't feel good, and then collapse. It was like a light switch. So I didn't even know at that time that it was Aiden's heart that had caused his death. I, I at first thought maybe he was choking on something. I, I had never heard of sudden cardiac arrest. It wasn't until we were in the hospital hours later trying to sort it all out where the doctor said to me, you know, if this happens. We don't know why it happens, but it does happen to healthy kids' hearts where suddenly they just stop. So um, all of you moms <laughs> and doting aunts and um, people in the world who, who just love children, um, that's, that wasn't an acceptable answer to me that our healthy kids can just suddenly drop and collapse. And so I started looking into what sudden cardiac arrest is. And I learned that it, like I said earlier, strikes about 9,000 young people every year, but that it's often preventable And it's preventable. There are ways that we can prevent sudden cardiac arrest from even happening to a young person, and there are things that we can do once sudden cardiac arrest does strike to prevent it from turning into a tragic death. So we formed a foundation, Aiden's Heart Foundation, to try to do these things. Um, And I'm happy to say, I'm proud to say, we have placed over 130 AEDs in our local communities. We have taught over 10 thousand sixth grade students, how to use CPR and AEDs to save a life in the Downtown Area School District where I teach. Um, we have screened the hearts of 2,000 young people using EKGs and follow up echocardiograms when necessary. And our most recent thing that we're proud of is that a lot of the kids that have been with our foundation for the last 12 or so years are now graduating high school, going into college, and they are taking the mission under their own wings. And they are getting CPR certified, getting EMT certified, and helping and volunteer in their communities. And they're teaching hands-only CPR to our community members and trying to change the culture of emergency preparedness in our communities. So, you know, when we we started (laughs) trying to, I'll say this right now, this is unbelievable, but Right now, the average survival rate of somebody collapsing in our communities, young person, old person, no matter what, somebody collapses, the average survival rate is only 5%. And there are a lot of reasons for that. Sometimes people don't know what to do. Sometimes people know what to do, but they, like me, when I first saw Aiden, they they just can't believe that somebody is in that, you know, needs that kind of emergency response. Um, And then there are people that are afraid, naturally, of hurting somebody or of doing something wrong and then getting sued. But the bottom line is we're not protecting each other. And yet, if we all knew CPR, hands-only CPR, which is super, super easy, and if AEDs were available everywhere we would be able to increase those survival rates to almost 90%. Wow. Wow. So with that in mind, you know, we used to, when we first started the foundation, we held community trainings. We would invite the parents and the, teachers and coaches and anyone who worked with kids, come on in, learn hands-only CPR. You don't have to put your mouth on another person. The American Heart Association recommends hands-only CPR um, is more effective in young people because they have enough uh, oxygenation in their blood already. And so we would teach that and it would go, go very well. And at the end, we would say, okay, you know, How many of you feel like you know what you need to do? These three simple steps. If somebody collapses, you call 911, you push or do compressions on their chest, and you shock using an AED. Call, push, shock. Very simple three steps. And they'd raise their hands and say, yeah, we we get it. We feel like we know what to do. But the problem is we might be afraid to. Mm -hmm. So... At about the same time, we learned that um, the American Heart Association had done a study, and they had found that by age 11, most kids have enough body mass to effectively deliver compressions. And so we thought, you know, as, as a mom and, and I'm a teacher and, um, you know, having younger children, we thought, you know what, let's, let's arm kids with this knowledge. Let's give kids the knowledge they need to be able to, to protect their classmates their teammates and their loved ones Um, because when it comes down to it we all are our own we are each each other's first responder we can do something in those early minutes so we started teaching the 1100 sixth grade students at the marsh creek sixth grade center in downingtown every year Um, like I said, when we formed the foundation, we wanted to save lives. What happened in this moment when we first started teaching kids is that they took it and ran with it. They came back to us asking. They said, okay, you trained us, but that's just, you know, kind of like we're familiar with it. We want to be really, really good at this. Can you certify us? Can you get us American Heart Association or American Red Cross CPR certification, they wanted the card, they wanted to take the three-hour course, they wanted to make sure they were doing it right and well enough. So we started certifying the kids. We actually embedded it into the high school curriculum. And those high school students then said, well, okay, what you did at the sixth grade center was so fun that can we take a day from school and can we go over and teach our sixth grade peers? And we said, sure. And so every year, about 80 high school students come over, and they're the ones that are teaching their younger peers how to save a life using CPR and an AED. My point here is that you do not, I I think the the public um, perception is that in order to give somebody life-saving care, you need to be a doctor or a trained medical professional. And you actually do not. Kids are doing this, and kids are helping each other save lives. Um, Call and push and shock. Those are the three simple steps that anyone can take to try to save a life. So teaching CPR is a big part of what we do. Placing AEDs, like I said, they should be as available you know, within two minutes brisk walk is the general recommendation. Currently, as of today, Pennsylvania state law does not require schools to have AEDs, and coaches are not required to be CPR certified. However, right now, in the, it just got voted out of the Senate Education Committee and will be considered in the full Senate. Um, Senate Bill 375 that Rosemary Brown has authored and The legislation that we are authoring with Senator Katie Muth are are coming together to try to make it um, official that we are protecting our children with AEDs in every school and with CPR certification for coaches and a team of teachers in each building. So that's really exciting. And if anyone out there is interested in helping us pass this legislation, please contact your local legislator and ask them to support this life-saving legislation. Um, And then the other thing that we do is that we test young hearts. EKG exams are not part of regular standard care, um, standard protocol by the American Academy of Pediatrics as of this moment in time. Um, We're making headway. Uh, Standards were increased in 2021 to include any child who has lost a family member due to a cardiac event under age 50, they can qualify for an EKG exam, but they're not yet routinely provided with every well-checked visit. And we feel they should be. When we and other groups around the country like ours who do free heart screenings, uh, when we test these hearts, we find that approximately one out of every 300 kids has something going on with their heart that needs further testing. And we find that some of those have something going on that, is potentially life-threatening, whether it's a, an arrhythmic abnormality or a structural abnormality. But these these things cannot be picked up with a stethoscope, and yet an EKG, which is a simple, non-invasive, thirty-second exam. I don't know if anyone's ever had them done. We tend to get them done when we're older, um, but you know the child lays on on a, a table for thirty seconds. Stickers are placed on their chest. Little electrodes are are hooked up to the stickers. And the machine reads the rhythm of the heart. And the doctor or uh, the person who is reading the EKG can determine whether further testing is needed. Um, When we do EKGs, we learn that they can pick up up to 70% of the conditions that can cause a healthy person's heart to suddenly stop. So it doesn't seem to make sense to us why we're not providing these annually yeah. um aiden never had an ekg and he was in the NICU for 10 days when he was born um he never had an ekg and we always wonder if he had would we have found something
0: right well i think it's a great reason to start a charity very worthy foundation christy amazing story um again you can uh support senate bill 375 for more of these devices and uh, aeds to be placed in places where kids need them you can visit the charity. It's Heart, A-I-D-A-N-S-H-E-A-R-T dot org. Christy, thanks again for coming coming on. We're getting played off here. That's it for this week's episode. You can follow Sarah on Instagram. It's at tie underscore tie time. You can follow me at Tom Tool3rd. We're streaming live every week. Facebook, YouTube, Instagram. Just look up Tom Tool Sales Group, and we will see you in two weeks after the Fourth of July. Happy America. This is WWDB 860 AM.